0: It's the Argos Fancast. We're uh, back after uh, almost all of April off. Uh, We're going to talk some CFL draft, the Hall of Fame announcements, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get in touch with Paul Woods, the author of uh, Bouncing... The Argo Bounce. I can't remember exactly what his book's called, but Bouncing Back, uh, about the 1983 Toronto Argonauts, uh, and specifically about uh, Mr. Terry Greer, who was... Finally, a CFL Hall of Famer. All that and more on the Argos Fancast. I am Clay Chisholm. You can find me at all kinds of Clay. You can find the Argos Fancast at Argos Fancast on Twitter. And anywhere you find your friendly neighborhood podcast, just search Argos Fancast, specifically SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. And as well, we are a member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find them at Network <coughs> and cfpodnetwork.ca for, for ours and a whole bunch of other great uh, fan podcasts from across the country, around the globe and down south, everywhere everywhere that we're talking football, there's somebody talking CFL football. And joining me to talk some more CFL football on the Argos Fancast, as always, From ArgoFans.com is Will
1: Gertler. Hi, everybody. You can find me on Twitter at ArgoFans. Visit us at www.argofans.com or you can check out my personal Twitter account at WillGE87.
0: And from the Double Blue Order, who is, uh, well, probably preparing his onslaught for the uh, upcoming. Argonauts season from the End Zone and the Double Blue Order. It is Sir Douglas R. Ballinger
1: Esquire III.
2: Are we going to add more titles to this by the...
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Breaking of Chains, King of the Seven Kingdoms, Lord of the Angles.
2: Although, th- although I like Warden of the South Side, I like that. <laughs> I like that idea. Reed. Anyway, uh, you can you can find you can find our group. You can find it on Facebook, Facebook.com slash double blue order, on Twitter at double blue order, on Instagram at the double blue order. Season's just around the corner. Hopefully, get your get your DBO swag. We got our we got our T Public store up, and that's a T Public slash user slash DBO Argos.
0: All right, now let's jump right into the cfl hall of fame because there was it happened a little while ago and uh and um well we haven't talked about it yet because we haven't been on the air now will i know you're you're our resident historian um and uh wondering if uh you could kind of lead us off in uh what's going on with the cfl hall of fame
1: yes well uh well, let's actually start by going through the list of the the uh, inductees first. We have uh, John Cornish, who is probably the guy who is most um, recognizable to our generation. You know, the Canadian running back for the Calgary Stampeders, played at a very high level uh, for a number of years and unfortunately just ran into some concussion trouble that shortened his career. We have um, Jim Hobson, who was an executive with, I believe, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for a long time. Yes, sir. We have have Frank Smith, who was a coach in uh, youth sports with uh, UBC. And we have Ernie Pitts, who I'm not too familiar with, but he was, I believe, a receiver in the 60s with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But, uh, three, uh, big guys this year, or, uh, first off, Mervin Fernandez, who played uh, receiver for the BC Lions in the 80s, and, um, was, in a word, spectacular. Uh, perhaps, you know, second only to, uh, the guy we'll get to, but he, uh, you know, uh, If you ever want to see why Mervyn Fernandez is a CFL Hall of Famer, Uh, look up on YouTube the 1983 Western Final between BC and Winnipeg and just watch him take over the game in the second half. He played in the CFL from uh, 1982 to 1986 and uh, then went to the NFL and played with the Raiders for a few years. And returned to the CFL in 1994. He spent all of his time with uh, BC. David Williams is a a man who uh, some were surprised to be named to the Hall of Fame. He started in the CFL actually in 1988. And uh, I don't know if he was necessarily a rookie, uh, had rookie status at the time, but he actually won the Most Outstanding Player Award, which... Receiver, it was quite rare at the time. So,
3: hey, gentlemen, nice to talk to you all. Hi, hi, hi Paul. How's everybody so doing just, tonight?
1: Good. Go we're ahead. just what? actually talking about some of the other inductees uh, before we get to Terry Greer, but we were just talking a bit about David Williams right now and. Um, just about how he, I guess, won the first year in the league. He won the Shenley as yeah, the yeah. most outstanding player. I, I think there was it's a bit of a transitional year for quarterbacks that year, which probably gave him my opening. Um, I guess the first question I'd ask you about uh, David Williams is, how surprised were you to hear him hear his name announced as a uh, Hall of Famer?
3: Uh, totally surprised. Uh, I will admit, I had never, I had never considered Williams as a potential Hall of Famer. Um, that doesn't mean he wasn't a great receiver. He was a great receiver for a few years. Um, he was amazing the first couple of years with the Lions. Uh, he was a really strong player for the Argos in 1991, and I think he had one other pretty good year after that for Winnipeg. But I, I never, I'd never pondered the idea that he was a Hall of Famer in the Canadian Football League. Um, And I'm still kind of surprised. I mean, I think um, I've seen a lot of names bandied about in recent days on, on fan forums about if Williams is in, then so should this guy and this guy and this guy be in. And honestly, some of those names are not names that I consider all that impressive. Um, certainly if Williams is in, I don't see any reason at all why Daryl K. Smith won't go in at some point because I think I think Smith was a, uh, as good or better for a, a similar period of time uh, to Williams.
1: Yeah, because you yeah. look at their stats. Uh, they, they spent roughly the same amount of time in the league and Smith actually finished with a little bit more yardage and uh, I think they had the same amount as a 1,000-yard seasons. So, yes, I'd, I'd like to see Daryl K. Smith uh, go in as well. But um,
3: the main. And there's other is, guys. I mean, Paul, yep. Paul Mazzotti. I don't think Paul Mazzotti's in, right? And, and no, uh, I'm guessing that. Mazzotti's got better stats than both of those guys. Yeah. Did
1: anybody throw Jeff Fairholm's name out there?
3: Yeah, I saw Fairholm, and that one kind of shocked me because I never thought of Fairholm as a as a as a Hall of Famer, good good player, very good player actually. But I mean, you know, like you're you to me. I don't know if you're going to throw Jeff Fairholm's name into the mix. Okay, then you should throw Paul Pearson's name into the mix. And, and of course, I'm biased. I love Paul Pearson. I always thought I always thought he was an incredibly underrated player. But it, Williams' thing—it just—it really is quite a strange decision, I think, in some ways. And I don't know if it's because they they thought that you know they picked these other two guys who had both had basically six-year careers with about four very impressive years among those six and they looked at another guy who was kind of similar, and he and like Mervyn Fernandez, he'd won an MOP award. I, I don't know. I don't understand it, but uh, good for David. But, that, man, I feel like they've kind of opened the door now to a lot of other guys that I would think as being sort of second-tier guys.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it'll be interesting to see. Um, so the man we're here to uh, highlight tonight is a Argo legend who uh, played for the Argos from 1980 to 1985. He is uh, an all-time Argo whose uh, name is on the banner at BMO Field, and he was also named to the all-time team that they did in 2007. And that's number 10, uh, Terry Greer. Terry, uh, as I said, uh, started the Argos in 1980, but really didn't, break out until 1982, and uh, the reason why uh, uh, Paul has been invited on tonight is because he wrote a book called Bouncing Back uh, several years ago, which is a history of the Argos in the early 80s, as told by by the players, coaches, and other personnel who you had the opportunity to uh, speak to and interview over a period of several years. I guess we'll start with what made Terry Greer such a special receiver, and what in particular made the run and shoot the perfect type of offense for him in Toronto?
3: Ah, that's a that's a great two pronged question. Um, he was, uh, first of all, you know, I believe he's the greatest receiver the Argos have ever had. I mean, and obviously, you know, they. It's, it's easy for me to say. I mean, I've only been alive for for sixty one of the Argos hundred and. 20 years, 100, 100, whatever the number is. What is it? 1873. So they're coming up on 125 years soon, something like that. I, my math is bad. Maybe it's 150. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I don't think. I mean, obviously, passing games were not what they are now. Back in the in the the pre-Canadian Football League era of the 50s, 40s, 30s, and so on. But Greer, unquestionably, to me, is the greatest receiver the Argos have ever had unbelievable speed unbelievable smoothness he was the smoothest fast guy ever uh looked like it looked like a gazelle running down the field um just at this real smooth stride didn't look like he was busting his ass but he was behind guys in no time um power uh great hands caught the ball with his hands not with his body mistake that a lot of receivers still make um and he was a smart man and and you had to be smart to be in that run and shoot offense because it was it was basically the first offense in in pro football to have plays that were designed around instant reads by everybody instant reads by the quarterback and the receivers um Nowadays, everybody runs runs these choice routes where, where depending on what you're seeing as a receiver, that dictates the type of pattern that you're going to run. Uh, and the quarterback has to read all that at the same way that the receiver does. And everybody seems to do it. That's a legacy of Mouse Davis's run and shoot. They were the first ones to really do this. The Eskimos did it a little bit, I think, back in the early 80s as well. But it was really the Argos that, that pioneered that. And Holloway, the quarterback, Conrad Holloway and Terry Greer, and the other guys, Cedric Minter, Paul Pearson, um, later, Emmanuel Tolbert. Uh, they all had uh, a, a really strong ability to to understand what they were seeing as they as they came to the line of scrimmage and to connect with each other. Uh, Greer and Holloway, in particular, seemed to have a a unique chemistry, uh, almost uh just this almost like telepathy. That they that they you know one glance from Greer to Holloway, and they both knew instantly that he was going to run an out or a streak or a, or a hitch screen or a comeback or a post, uh, and so he'd run it, Holloway would throw the ball knowing Greer was going to be running it, but when they got to, before they got to that line of scrimmage, neither guy knew what he was going to do, uh, so you had to be really smart. Uh, you, had be, you had to be able to read and react instantly. And Greer had that. Now, part of that might have been because he was a quarterback in in uh, college, uh, and so he'd he'd had some he'd had to get to know how to read defenses from the from the quarterback position, and that may have helped. Um, so I think I mean those are the, the primary things. I mean, quickness, obviously, speed and quickness are two different things, I guess. He had pure speed, but he also had great quickness, where he could make a cut really fast, and he could he could he could put one little move on a guy, and suddenly he'd, he's around him. Um, and I guess confidence he had a, he had a demeanor about him that I could catch the ball every single play if they would throw me the ball every single play. And he, he knew it was he knew he could and, and, and they often did. They you know they threw I was reading uh, rereading the chapter about Terry and bouncing back and uh, in the game where he went over 2,000 two thousand yards for the season in 1983, the last game of the season, they, they, they uh, targeted him 24 times. That's an amazing number then, and an amazing
1: number now. Yeah, you just uh, put context into it. Uh, in 1983, Terry was the first, I believe the first pro wide receiver to go over 2,000 yards. And keep in mind that the CFL didn't move till an, to an 18-game season until a couple of years after that. So that was done in 16 games. And uh, as you highlight, I think in the book, Paul, there was a span of three games midway through that season where Terry went over 200 yards in three straight games including I believe one game where he caught 16 passes uh, that record was broken by Pinball I believe but at the time it was a record um,
3: uh, the, the the which record the uh, the the number of receptions um, I don't think that record's been broken, actually. I think unless it's been broken since I wrote the book, because at the time I wrote the book, that it, it had only been tied twice, I believe. Okay. okay. Including by Mookie Mitchell. Um, yeah, okay, that's right, yeah. So, so, that's, so that's a record that has stood the test of time. The 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 three consecutive 200-yard reception games, in my mind, is an unbreakable record. I don't think we will ever see that happen. It's astonishing to think that a guy could go off for 200 yards three games in a row when by then he was clearly established as the leading weapon on the team. you know The, the opposing teams had to know that Greer was going to be getting a lot of passes thrown his way, and somehow he still goes for 200-plus yards three weeks in a row. Um, I just, like I said, I'll be shocked. I mean, we go, we'll, we'll go seasons where nobody gets 200 yards in a game. Uh, he did it three times in, in a row. I, I think notice. one one, yeah, one interesting
0: ahead. thing about that uh, that three games with uh, 200 yards is he was targeted, you know, between like I, I believe it was uh, 16 to 18 times per per game, some somewhere in that in that range, which means like he's not you know he's not breaking one of these things where you know the guys that have big games now you're going to see a long of, you know, 70 80 yards on their stat sheet. His long for that season was uh, a 61 yards.
3: Yeah, he was he, he 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 had a lot of, you know, 30 40 yard receptions, that sort of thing. Um, you know, in the in the, the last of the three, the game against BC, which I think is Greer's greatest game, he he only had eight catches for 243 yards, so he averaged 30 yards of reception. I mean, that you never see that, right? I mean, it's uh, uh, you know, you might see you know, you might occasionally see a game where a guy gets five catches for 150 yards, but it's pretty rare to get eight for 240. Um, and I don't think he was targeted a ton, a ton more that game. You know, I'd have to go back and watch it, but I don't I don't recall. That being a game where they, you know, where they threw 20 passes in his direction and he only caught eight. I, I kind of feel like they used him more judiciously in that game, but they used him incredibly effectively, including the one play that, the, what I think it was his greatest play as an Argo, uh, a hitch screen where, you know, he caught the ball basically at the line of scrimmage just down the left sideline, and then, and then went some long distance for a touchdown. Uh, I don't know if I've got it in the book how long it was. Um, uh, Midfield, <laughs> midfield, midfield. Yeah, 50-52 yeah. Yeah. yards, 52 yards, yeah. and it was it was just a thing of beauty. I remember being just unbelievably ecstatic watching that play unfold on the TV screen in front of me. The uh, game was in BC, of course. It was the Argos' first game in BC Play Stadium. That was the year it opened. They were the first visiting team and, in fact, the only visiting team that year to win a game. Uh, and they really kicked the crap out of the Lions. I think the final score was 32 to 14. And that that touchdown really kind of showed that they were the dominant team. Um, and it was like, you know, a hitch screen pass. That, that was a, a play that hardly anybody had used before in the CFL until Mouse Davis came along with the run and shoot. And then it became the Argos bread and butter. Uh, it was used typically more often with the slot backs, the slot receivers like Tolbert than it was with, with Greer on the outside. But he had it in, the, in his repertoire. And, you know, if you were to go back and watch that play on YouTube, his acceleration. I mean, like, he catches that ball, and he's basically kind of standing still. And all of a sudden, he is flying.
1: Watching some of the games you posted on YouTube, one thing you would also notice is even in the game where, like, in the Eastern Final against the Ticats in 83, I think they held them to only two catches. But yeah. the thing was, they had to commit so many, uh, Hamilton had to commit, you know, resources, to to deal with rear that it left guys like Tolbert and Minter open all day. And, that you know, Minter and Tolbert were arguably the difference for the Argos in that game.
3: Yeah, that's true. And, 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 you know, in the Grey Cup the the, the following week, he was not targeted a lot, and he didn't have a huge statistical game either. But I'd be really interested to go back and talk to defensive coordinators from the opponents about how they defended the Argos, and I'd be willing to bet – that they all game-planned more for Greer than for any other person in the Argos. Very, high, you know, high-powered and talented attack. But Greer would have been the guy that they would have been most worried about for sure.
1: I want to go back uh, to 1982, if we could. And uh, maybe for some of your younger listeners it may be difficult to appreciate the importance of one regular season game, but you can argue that Terry Greer's coming-out party was that win over the Eskimos. Uh, but yep. what was so important about that game, not only for Greer but for the Argo franchise as a whole?
3: Well, uh, it, you know, it was uh, as I describe in the book. I mean, the Argos had a habit back in the in the late seventies and uh, and prior to eighty two of uh, often getting off to pretty good starts in the season. Um, and looking, you know, showing some promise. Maybe they go three and one in their first four games, or they go four and two in their first six games, and everybody's thinking, "Hey, maybe this is the year we're actually going to do something." And then it seemed like every year Eskimo the Eskimos came to town in August, often during the exhibition, uh, and and beat the Argos, and then immediately touched off a, a long losing streak that killed the Argos season. And the Eskimos, of course, were the the dynasty of all time in the Canadian Football League. They won five in a row from '78 to '82, um, and they they you know killed the Argos in '81 out in Edmonton. Actually, they killed them. They I think they they they'd beaten the Argos something like nine games in a row or something going back to 76 or something like this and and some really embarrassing losses and just i think it would have been two weeks earlier so this would be like in week week two i think of the edmonton of the 82 season uh the argos had gone into edmonton and the run and shoot had looked really really bad it had looked like everybody was not on the same page they got the quarterbacks and the receivers weren't reading it the same way i you know i didn't realize that at the time i didn't know that was what the offense was built on but but looking back on it now it's evident that that was the problem that they hadn't they all hadn't figured it out yet and they'd lost pretty big i think it was 31 to 12 or something like that um and then they'd had a sort of an unimpressive win at home. They'd, they'd started the season with a tie at home against Calgary, where they'd, they really hadn't been all that impressive. So they really hadn't looked that good yet. Uh, and um, they, the Eskimos come to town. The Argos, I believe, are 2-1-1. One, and one, And um, And everybody's thinking, okay, well, you know, okay, that's decent. We're over 500, but we haven't really done anything yet. And this is the five-time Grey Cup champion Eskimos who always kill the Argos in August. And here they are, and the run and shoot suddenly worked. And the thing that made it work better than anything else was Conridge Holloway to Terry Greer that night. I mean, I think Greer had six catches for 177 yards. Uh, the two touchdowns, both times he Basically, he destroyed Joe Holloman on one-on-one coverage, and Joe Holloman was a all-pro, all-CFL cornerback, uh, one of the stars of the Edmonton defense. And the second touchdown was so important because uh, the Argos had led big at halftime. I think they led by 18 points at halftime. Uh, And everybody was kind of delirious and ecstatic, but still holding our breath because this was the Eskimos and this is how this is when things always fall apart. And then, of course, in the second half, the Eskimos being a a really good veteran laden team start uh, coming back. Uh, at that point, of course, they were only four-time champions. This was this was the year that they won their fifth championship. But at that point, they were they were still the dynasty. And uh, they come back. I mean, they're a great team. They've got Warren Moon. They've got uh, they've got Dan Kepley and Dave Fennell and Neil Lumsden and Brian Kelly and Tommy Scott and Jim Germany and Wade L Smith and so on and so forth. And suddenly, a 22 to four lead becomes a 23 to 21 cliffhanger uh... in the fourth quarter and it's like the whole the whole exhibition stadium i think was holding its breath thinking how are we going to blow this and then holloway gets in the huddle and says to the guys give me enough time i'll find terry we will win the game and sure enough that's what he does it rear runs a deep pattern on holloman down the right sideline uh... holloway puts up a beautiful spiral long bomb comes down to Greer full stride over his shoulders or picks it out of the air and runs into the end zone spreads his arms wide and the place goes bananas and we're now winning by nine points and we end up winning the game by eight points and the fans are so excited and enthusiastic that they uh, thousands of them literally thousands of people stormed the field and like to to you know clap our our heroes on the back i was one of them i i could not resist the idea i'm going down to be part of this it was an amazing feeling to be down there on that field and feeling man we just beat the eskimos this team this team can can move the ball we've got a quarterback we've got a receiver and you know greer that night i mean that was just transcended that was that was the game where everybody in canadian football must have gone holy crap that guy is good
1: yeah, yeah, my, my parents. Uh, my mother always says that she also ran onto the field that game, and Conrad Holloway almost <laughs> ran her over trying to get off the field. But uh, yeah, there was
3: guys, they, the guys, the players had to like, uh, had to like fight their way through the crowd. It was yeah. crazy. Well,
0: that, that's something we would absolutely love to see at BMO Field if that uh, would ever be possible um, uh, with the Argos again in this day and age. But you know what? For a man who played six seasons in Toronto uh, in the CFL, had 6,817 receiving yards. So he averaged over 1,000 yards per season. And to throw in, he threw three touchdown passes. Why did this man have to wait so long to get into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame?
3: Well, that is a fantastic question. And I, my theory on that has been for years that they the voters – and of course, it's a very secretive process. You don't really know who the who the selection committee is, and they they basically never reveal any information. Unlike a lot of other halls of fame, where the where the ballots are released and so on. But my theory has been that they two two prong. The main one is that uh, there was a belief that six years was not long enough to play in this league. That you that you you, know, you had to have more longevity. Um, now, to me, that was that was. Uh, Turned over as soon as Warren Moon got put in the Hall of Fame, and it justified. Warren Moon absolutely needed to go into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and he did quite a while ago. And he played six years in the Canadian Football League. And in fact, you know, these guys are contemporaries. They they competed head to head for the Shenley Award in 1983, with Moon beating Holloway, Moon beating Greer rather. Uh, and so I think you know if you're gonna if you're gonna Determined that six years isn't long enough, then why did you let Warren Moon in? If you're going to let Warren Moon in, which you should, then you need to look at other guys that had careers of the same duration. Which and and Fernandez is the same one. Fernandez also had a six-year career. Uh, now there was a, a smaller issue as well. I think in recent years, I don't know. This is just a, a theory, and I don't know that it's true. But I, I I have been led to believe that that Fernandez faced some legal issues that would have made it difficult for him to come into Canada. Uh, and that the, the the voters may have waited until that was resolved, so that because they wouldn 't want to have induct a guy into the hall of fame who couldn 't be there because he couldn 't get across the border and It may be that at some point somebody said, "Well, look, if Greer and a Fernandez need to go in together because they're they 're like the two greatest receivers of their generation." And so maybe that was maybe that led to Terry waiting a few extra years. But the, the main thing, I think, is just the, sort of a, 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 a belief, which I don't agree with, that, that you have to have a long career to qualify. Um, you know, I don't know what the right number is. You know, is four years long enough? Maybe not. And I, and I don't know. I mean, you know, Doug Flutie got in after a fantastic eight-year career. And, of course, Flutie was going to go in. He was the most outstanding player six times in eight years. But eight years is still a pretty short career. Uh, and at the same time, I don't believe guys should get in on the basis of longevity. There are, there are some guys that have been inducted into that Hall of Fame, uh, including some receivers who I believe are in there because they played for 14 or 15 years, not because I ever considered them to be a, a, a transcendent superstar. Um, you know, there were a few receivers inducted in the last decade or so, and I go, oh, yeah, he was okay. Okay, but he played a long time, so he's got big numbers but I would have never paid money to go see that guy play, whereas I would have paid money to go see Fernandez play and Greer play.
1: Well, the, you know, the thing you got to remember as well as that is that
3: the reason why some
1: of these guys have such short careers like Moon, Greer, and Fernandez is they got
3: that shot to go play in the NFL. Yeah, you can't you can't hold it against a guy be- that he's so good that he that he he had to go to the NFL. Now, that that's where that's going to get interesting is Cameron Wake. Um I think Wake was only in the CFL for 4 years and that and you know that's 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 a tough one, but you know, I don't know, maybe he was dominant enough for those 4 years that he'll make the Hall of Fame at some point. He certainly was was so good that the NFL came calling for him. Um, you know, uh, you know. I guess there are going to be times when when the NFL is going to call for guys that are not even close to being Hall of Famers. We've seen, we've seen guys, you know, that were like barely even noticed in the Toronto Argonauts secondary, and and they end up playing in the NFL for six years. They go, how the hell did that happen? I barely remember that guy. So, but but a guy like Wake, I mean, he, he won. I think he won the Most Outstanding Player award and the Rookie of the Year award and a bunch of awards, and and of course he's had an amazing career in the in the NFL as well. Um, but yeah, I mean those those three, Fernandez, Greer, and Moon were were maybe the three greatest players of the 1980s, and and the NFL recognized that and and, and stole them away from us uh, pretty early on in their careers.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's actually quite awesome. Um, now you keep mentioning your book. Um, just want to know, is it still available, and where can people get it?
3: No, oh, thank you for asking. Uh, it is still available. There's uh, there are three ways you can get it. Um, for those that are uh, you know that would like personalized copies, you know, if some people like a signature or a little note or whatever, I'm always happy to to sell copies directly to people, um, either by meeting up somewhere at a game or or somewhere around town if that if that's convenient. Uh, and um, you know I've I've got I've always got a few copies on hand here. You can also order it through Amazon, although I kind of discourage that because uh, the amount of money that ends ends up in my pocket when it goes through Amazon <laughs> yeah. is really low. Uh, so if you do want to order it online, I encourage people to go to Lulu.com. Lulu is the is the self-publishing company that I that I used. Uh, and if you order it directly from Lulu, I get a bigger a bigger chunk of money. I, I still haven't made back my cost of doing the book, and I probably never will. And I don't care. But I'd still rather get eleven bucks from Lulu than than get four bucks from Amazon for for a book that's going to cost the the buyer twenty twenty three ninety nine. Um, but if you want one from me directly, contact me, uh, paulwoods13 at gmail.com, and I'm happy to, uh, to uh, either ship or hand deliver copies to people if it's convenient to do that. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a book that still sells a few copies every year, and I, I like to think there's still some people that would enjoy the book that haven't found it yet. Um, and uh, I'm working on another one that I think is going to be even better about the 1991 Argos.
0: Ooh, that'll be interesting i'm looking forward to, to yep. hearing that
3: oh yeah there's that that's a, that's an amazing story that, that 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 book is a way bigger and co- more complicated but way more fun in some ways and i think it's going to be a great book when it comes out uh, people are going to hear some things they won't believe about that 91 team with with the rocket and gretzky and candy and mcnaul and matt Dunigan. It's pinball it's it's just a it's a fantastic story
0: all right, thank you very much, Paul, for joining us on the Argos Fan
3: Cast. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I uh, um, look forward to hearing the the full show. All just right. uh, just full let everybody know where they can find you on social media. Yes, great. Thank you. I uh, so uh, I I uh, my Twitter handle is at pxw13. Um, I I I post to uh, Argo fans uh, as Paul Woods 13. I post to uh, the CFL forums as PW13, I believe. Um, you can find me on Facebook. There's actually a, there's a Facebook page for, for bouncing back, and there's and there's actually a uh, I did a blog. Well, I wouldn't want to call it a blog, but I did a I did a, a Tumblr type. Uh, website for for bouncing back when uh, when the book uh, when I was working on the book and then after it came out and it's still it's still alive I still pay the the small fee every year to to keep the 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 thing going Uh, and it's actually got some really cool content you know it's one of the fun things about about that was that I was able to post some some interesting video some interesting really interesting audio actually if you go to the if you go to bouncing back dot Jesus, I should remember. Is it bouncingback.net? I think. Let me hold on. Let me just check. Uh, It is. uh, So, no, here we go. It's bouncingbackbook.ca. If you go to bouncingbackbook.ca, you will get to this, this sort of website slash blog, and you'll find some really cool stuff, including... Uh, I've got audio there of, uh, of that, gre- that touchdown that Greer scored uh, against the Eskimos in 1982 as called by Bob Rutina and Pete Martin on CFRB. You hear the, the electricity in el- Exhibition Stadium that night. Uh, it's ju- and there's other cool stuff on there, some really cool photos and videos and other things, uh, even a few, one, one chapter that didn't get into the book that I enjoyed writing, but it just didn't fit about the, uh, the CFL on NBC in 1982 during the NFL strike.
0: All right, thank you very much, Paul, and uh, we'll uh, wish you a good evening, and uh, we're going to continue on with the rest of uh, our show.
1: So uh, that was Paul Woods with his um, retrospective of Terry Greer, and uh, if you do want to see highlights from his career, there are – he has posted several – he has posted highlights from several of his uh, big games in uh, Toronto, so that might be something interesting to check out.
0: And if you're uh, looking for his uh, book, um, you can, uh, well, as he said, get in touch directly with him, um, uh, and uh, you can also get it from uh, Lulu.com. It's L-U-L-U.com, and uh, the easiest way to find it is just search Paul Woods. You can either get it in an ebook available from the iBookstore. Or uh, you can get the uh, the full uh, paperback version um, at twenty three ninety nine. So it's uh, go buy, go buy that book. It's an interesting read. And you know what? When he mentioned the nineteen ninety one season, that's gonna probably resonate with a lot uh, a lot more of, uh, of us anyway. You know, I'm I'm I might have to reach out and uh, and get that book as well
2: yeah there's also a link to there's also a link that'll take you to the Lulu site from on the bouncing back there's a link there too if you if, if you're if you don't want to spend the time searching you just go to bouncing back, bouncing back click on buy bouncing back and it'll give you the link
0: all right so Hall of Fame uh, we've moved from the Hall of Fame uh, some guys that uh, well played uh, a little while ago and uh, now we move into the future uh the cfl draft happened this past week and uh, the argos had the number one pick in the draft and they picked up at times he was ranked the number one prospect on the cfl scouting bureau uh he's he's been uh, up and down that those ranks um, but Shane Richards, a big, massive offensive lineman from Oklahoma State and uh, Calgary native, he was even at the Toronto Argonauts draft party to sign yes. his first contract. And uh, and you guys were were there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What what was the the buzz like when they announced that first pick? And he was there holding up that the jersey that well from the pictures look to be about 55 sizes too small for him
1: <laughs> <laughs> well first off i got you know i would be remiss if i didn't uh, give the Argos credit for that uh, for hosting a draft party uh you know the, the team sometimes gets criticism for sometimes you know, sometimes not doing enough for their fans but you Know that it was a great event, uh, it was interactive. You know, Pop and Chamberlain both came out to discuss the draft picks, and uh, you know, yes, they, they had Shane Richards and his family there, and he signed his contract right in front of everybody. And uh, The impression you know, everybody got is he's a big, you know, 6'6, 335, and uh, you know. You know, a lot of people might not be experts at, you know, CIS prospects, but, you know, it sounds like a guy who's versatile can play right guard and right tackle, which is important because we don't know how much longer Chris Van Zyl will play. And the main plus is he sounds like he's committed to playing in the CFL immediately and not necessarily going off to play in the NFL.
0: And I think that was probably one of the uh, the, the biggest considerations that uh, that the Argos did in, in making that draft pick. Uh, there there were a lot of people talking about uh, uh, Drew uh, Desjardins, uh Jesse Gibbon, and and uh, defensive lineman Matthew Betts, and you know I, I ev- all those guys have uh, at least gotten uh, have either have signed some contracts with uh, with NFL teams or have uh, workouts with uh, with NFL teams on the horizon. And, you know, they, they really wanted a guy that they could look to and have in the lineup, or at least in their you know, trying to develop into uh, the next guy on that Canadian offensive line. I think that's that's um, a hallmark of Jim Pop teams is, you know, he, he gets his – his good offensive line to protect his, his quarterback. And, you know, Shane Richards, you know, from all accounts, he's, he's got a lot of upside. Uh, Most people don't think he's uh, hit his peak as a player. So, you know, he's, uh, I I think it's a great pick uh, for what the Argos wanted. And, and, Got somebody that they know is going to be in an argo uniform uh, when training camp gets underway.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I saw that, when I saw him come out, I have to. admit, I was first thought that crossed my mind is like, good luck getting through him. <laughs> I mean, they have just given James Franklin a very big brick in the wall to protect him. Because this guy is big. I was in awe of the size of this guy. He was yeah. big, Well,
0: he's... I mean, in the... in the... Uh, the, the combine thing, he's listed at 6'8", 3'36". I know some people said he's closer to 6'6". Six, six, but, yeah, the... the Dude is a large human being,
2: large and in charge.
0: <laughs> you know, and the and the Argos they didn't stop there with their offensive lineman. Uh, they picked another big offensive lineman in the draft, um, Eric Starzala, uh, out of uh, out of Guelph, six uh, five three eighteen. They picked him in the seventh round uh, with their last pick in the draft, and he looked to be a uh, a, a decent prospect. Um, most likely, he he'll be uh, in on the the guard position. Um, the other guy that uh, that uh, they picked was uh, Maurice Maurice Simba. Um, he did not participate in the combine, but uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people were, had him ranked inside the top twenty for uh, draft prospects and for the CFL draft. So you got three good Canadian offensive linemen that uh, that you can work with.
2: So are we gonna cue the Lion King theme every time he pancakes a defensive lineman? Now
0: you no, got damn right. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> Hope his yeah. stars proud of him.
0: <laughs> we we need to get uh little stuffed lions with his jersey on them ah well <laughs> once it once this man cracks the starting lineup that needs to be sold and oh. everybody needs to hold that up when he when he creams somebody
2: i could so make a meme with him pancake and Simone e. lawrence saying long live the king <laughs> Even though I know it's in reverse, but I don't give a I don't give a crap. It's my meme. I don't give a shit.
0: <laughs> now, with the, when you uh, go into what else happened in the draft, you know I, I know the the Argos went and looked and addressed needs. Um, you know they got another guy, Robbie Smith, with the ninth overall pick, first pick in the second round, uh, and uh, you know he was he's. Touted as being one of the uh, the better defensive linemen um, that uh, you we should be able to see in the CFL in 2019. So I I, I think that's a he's a nice interior defensive lineman should uh, uh, spell well with uh, with Cleon Lang in the middle, and he's another one of those guys that's got a lot of upside, very fast, and uh, it just it has that grit that uh, Corey Chamberlain likes.
2: And also, I guess every time he gets a sack, we're going to start playing The Cure. (laughs) Yes.
1: Absolutely. That's kind of depressing for uh, for a a football game. uh.
2: Well, well, it depends on the song, though. It's not like we're playing Morrissey here.
0: True. (laughs) Al, you know what? Okay, okay. So we're gonna have to come up with, you know, uh, a, a selection of Cure songs that uh, that we can have people choose from, and and hopes that the Argos see this and uh, think it's a good idea.
2: <laughs> I could just imagine Friday I'm in love every single time he just drop <laughs> he, he drops a quarterback. It's gonna be hilarious. <laughs>
0: Oh, and mo- moving on with the uh, the 18th pick, the territorial selection—a little bit uh, controversial uh, item that the CFL added in here. The uh, they they selected defensive back Matthew Botang uh, out of Fresno State. Um, a uh, littler guy, but uh, a lot of speed with this human being, and you know, with an extra pick, I think the Argos—you can't really go wrong. When you've got a a almost almost like a throw-in pick, but the fact that you put it right at the end of the second round, you you know you've only had so many players taken. You know you you want to grab that. You know I I think that's a good pick there.
1: Yeah, and um, they took two uh, defensive backs. They took Jamie Henry from my alma mater, the University of Ottawa. And, that, you know, that's a little bit, too, because, you know, Matt Black retired and moved to the front office. So that's, uh, you know, you add two more Canadian DBs to the pipeline to, you know, pick up the slack that, you know, Matt leaves big shoes to fill, but you start to try to fill those with those two selections.
0: Absolutely. And and the one thing that, uh, that Corey Chamberlain uh, has – Chamberlain um, has uh, – Mentioned in in more on more than one occasion is he likes speed. You know, he, he, you cannot teach speed. And both those both those DBs they picked have speed to burn. With their next pick, first pick in the third round, the Argos selected a quarterback. Michael O'Connor out of UBC at, at with the 20th pick in the draft now Will, you and I were talking about this beforehand and the one thing that uh, that you know you you see when a team picks a Canadian quarterback is a lot of times they're hoping that he will transition into something else um, you know a receiver or a DB you know with that's that smarts of a quarterback, you never see them throw away a third round pick on a uh on, on a guy that they're hoping could change into something or picking the Canadian quarterback as a PR move.
1: No didn't. Michael O'Connor's you know, the, he's been heralded for a few years now. And and um, you know, this is uh, Jim Pop selected Jesse Palmer in uh, 15th overall, I believe, in 2001. So it's you know not outside his mo to select a quarterback in the draft. And you know Brandon Bridge is a Canadian quarterback in camp, and uh, Michael O'Connor joins them there. So
0: and they also yeah, have they also have Noah Pickton as well.
1: well. I believe Pickton got released, but I don't know if that was just one of the, you know. Mike Hogan called it a paper transaction at the time, which means he could be back.
2: Yeah, there's 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 been a hell of a lot of those lately.
1: Yeah. So from that respect the you know, I, I won't profess to know a lot about O'Connor's game, but you know, it may sound like a broken record here, but I hope he gets a chance to make it.
0: And then uh, rounding out the Argos selected uh, two wide receivers: uh, Curly Gittens Jr. uh, in the third round, twenty-third pick, and uh, Phil uh, Aoki out of Carlton with the uh, in the seventh round, the fifty-sixth pick. Um, Both those guys uh, are uh, not some more fast guys, not huge human beings, but. but they definitely got some upside, um, and uh, oh, Will. Yes. They selected a long snapper.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> Jake Reinhardt's <laughs> under contract for a few years,
0: but you know they're 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 going against the uh, the whole the whole theme of this season, and that is don't fuck with the long snapper.
1: Yeah. Bo Gittins, so, though I know Hogan said that the War Room was elated that he was still available at that uh, uh, selection.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing, like, the back to the long snapper, the name is Joe Spaziani. Now, I misread that at first, and I thought it was Joe Satriani, and I thought, okay, is this when, did, did we just draft a guitarist?
1: <laughs>
2: and then I put my glasses on and realized, oh, okay, <laughs> so, uh, uh,
0: Cur- Curly Gittins Jr. Um, he, he, uh, Marshall Ferguson had him ranked number thirteen on on his board, and uh, the fact that they were able to get him in the third round is uh, is pretty good on that one. And uh, just checking where he landed up, he was number sixteen on the three down nation board. So. You know, having him slip to them in the third round is—you uh, know—that's that—that's pretty good.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Anything that shows up three down, nation, I'm happy <laughs> to see.
0: Now, speaking of that, um, I am going to drop a flag here. Illegal procedure. Defense, they made the offense move. Five-yard penalty, first down repeated. Uh, John Hodge, somebody who has been on this show before, Uh, somebody who I've uh, talked with on multiple occasions, Uh, saw him at the Combine, gave Shane Richards, the Shane Richards pick, an F. He made made a claim that Richards lied to the teams in uh, interviews about testing at the combine, um, and that turned some scouts off. Um, and and really, the other thing he was you said he was he wasn't a full time starter in the NCAA. Well, I think one of the things that he you know looked at was the fact that he only started eight games. But here's the thing. He started those eight games, the first eight games of the season, and then was injured and could not start the remaining games. He would have been a full-time starter in in his uh, last year at Oklahoma State uh, had he not been injured. So there's that, and the fact that he's giving this an F, you know, when the Argos are picking somebody who is more likely to be in their camp. Uh, this year as opposed to well say the Edmonton Eskimos picking Matthew Betts at number three who if uh, you uh, read some of the reports had no clue he was even selected in the CFL draft he was busy preparing uh, for his uh, for Bears minicamp as he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago Bears and Really gave no no inkling to the fact that he's has any desire to pursue anything in the CFL until after he's exhausted all NFL opportunities. Now, apart from that, you know he he uh, it, it's. You know, it's splitting hairs. You can't. You, you have to look back at historically the the CFL draft um, is is more about finding the guy that works than finding the can't miss prospect. Uh, the CFL released a a nice thing. the The previous ten number one selections and there are not many on this list of 10 players that are still playing in the CFL. You've got receiver Mark Chapman, pick number pick number one by Hamilton. He flat out said before, before the draft, he had no intention of ever playing in the CFL and uh, he's still trying to uh, look for opportunities down South and, um, Winnipeg picked a uh, defensive lineman, uh, Faith Echotite, or something like that. I cannot pronounce the name properly. Um, Saskatchewan picked uh, Josiah St. John, who, well, you know, looks to be. They keep wanting him to be there, but he looks like he's hanging on by a thread. Um, you know, in 15, Alex Matias went to Ottawa. He's uh, still there as a staple on their def- offensive line. Pierre Laverture in Calgary, he's still there. Lyndon Gadosh, he's actually... Uh, he's bounced around a lot. Hamilton uh, missed on that pick. Ben Heenan in 2012, he's out of football. Enoch Muamba still in football and playing pr- at a pretty high level. But he did have his, uh, his venture down south. Um, and then you've got Shamari Williams, who... You know, had some flashes, but really couldn't put it together. And Simeon Rotier, uh, who you know had a decent career in the CFL, and just retired. So nothing is ever guaranteed in this. So putting that 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 claim as that's as a, this is an F pick. I think he needs to maybe do a little bit more homework on is to exactly what the Argos wanted out of this draft.
2: I am seriously biting my tongue right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it just, it seems to me like, I i mean, I'm wasting bandwidth on, on three down, which is something that I never do. Right? But, I'm just reading to it, and it just, to me, it comes off as either sour grapes or a serious amount of butthurt. That's what it, that's what it, that's what the blurb sounds like. That's how it comes off to me.
0: Yeah, you know, I think if he was going to grade this an F, um, you know, it, I I don't see like he he gave a little bit better reasons for a lot of his other grades. This one just did not come off as as a lot of. Uh, Specific, saying he wasn't a full-time NCAA starter, um, you know he, he. You're you're talking more about the the uh, the man's character than anything in this, and I don't I, I. Yeah, he's. I I just don't think that that that's rating him an F is uh, is the right right thing to do. Like, for me. Uh, You know, based on what I see, at at worst, you could give this an incomplete. But I like this pick. I like what the Argos did. They got a big human being that uh, they can develop uh, into their own mold. And, you know, they got somebody who's going to be in camp who's committed to the Argos.
2: Not only that, like at the draft party, there was a significant amount of people who were as a matter of fact, I think everybody there was cheering the pick because it's a damn good one.
1: Yes, but how many people knew who the hell it? Mean, I had no clue who Shane Richards was.
2: Well, there are Just some. People
1: a, I am being a bit of a cynic. I know that, but
2: I mean, there are. I mean, not only well, there are people who do know who do religiously watch. American college football. I know of at least two people who do.
1: But Oklahoma State's not necessarily a...
2: Well, they're not... a. Yeah, they're not... They're not Oklahoma... They're not boomer Sooners. I get that. But, I mean... Like, there was still, like... It's... I mean, you took... They showed the tape on them. They showed... I mean, the crowd gave a good cheer about it. Right? I personally yeah, like this. Yeah, I per- I'm not doubting that. So like like I said, I'm like I said, I'm reading I'm reading I'm as I'm reading this, it's like it just seems like uh either sour grapes or or butthurt. That's what it's out There's that's no what it's like
1: for me not to be optimistic about the, the pick. But no draft as clay says a draft is a draft and you know you don't know
0: you 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 only know so much until you can get them in your uniform and get them playing with your guys
2: mhm uh-huh.
0: so and, and you know i think the argos from their a lot of their picks they it it looks like they are looking at guys that they, you know, I don't think you've got a guy that's necessarily going to jump off the page at you and going to going to start right away for these Argos, but you got guys who are going to be here and guys who have a lot of upside to them.
2: You know, an awful an, awful an awful lot of upside. Absolutely, and
0: you know, it, the, you've
2: got. You know three
0: massive linemen you know and and uh, and Simba um, as much as we we uh, you know are picturing a nice small small little lion cub the man is also six eight and three forty three so he is also a house <laughs>
2: he, he's, he's he's not a lion he's the freaking den. <laughs>
0: So the, the Argos, I think, did well in this year's draft. They addressed a lot of needs, and they addressed a lot of uh, potential, we'll say. Now, moving on, um, I think we kind of really have to quickly touch on CBA. We don't know what's going on. No. We know, we thi- know
2: we know things are moving quickly but we but beyond that we don't know where they are no
0: <laughs> we know uh, what do we know we know that according to provincial law five teams uh, players are not in a legal strike position should this uh, this negotiation go beyond the uh, the expiration of the contract I'm not sure when uh, a legal strike position ever stopped anybody from actually striking anyway but yeah
2: uh, <laughs> exactly um, Wild, wildcat would occur I think <laughs> I
0: but uh, it's you know that's about all we know we know they they CFL delayed talks for uh, a little while and now they're back talking and that's about it. All
3: right, gentlemen, you have three minutes, and
2: you better make it good. Three minutes, and we're out of here. We got
0: three minutes, and we're out. Is this thing on? Are you hearing it?
2: Okay. Uh. Well, I was sudden. Uh, <laughs> okay. First of all, I have to mention uh, our friends on Reddit. Well, this the Argonaut subreddit, the Reddit that I'm the subreddit that I'm actually moderator of. We have, as of an hour ago, and as of today, 416 members. Cool. So the sixes team on Reddit is actually our area is actually the area code in subscribers. <laughs> nice. So, I thought I thought I thought that was one thing that was neat. Uh, another one is. An interesting shower, an interesting little shower thought. Now keep an open mind on this one. If the Eskimos win the Grey Cup this season, technically the Red Blacks win the Grey Cup.
1: Oh. by proxy.
2: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's. I mean, to be perfectly honest, they're not wrong. <laughs> Not wrong at all. And finally, something out of the out of the wholesome pile. the Argos were on hand to la- to launch uh, on sun- last Sunday or yesterday the Toronto Flag Football League. And now on their Twitter they they have a nice little a nice little video of it a nice little 30 second video. And uh well it was quite a muddy field that they were in, but not that it really would no well, proper football doesn't get stopped by a half a flooded field anyway but I mean they had they had I think Jamal Campbell was there they had cheerleaders there had like a whole bunch of they had like a little table and uh, the Argos provided the uniforms, and the Argos logo was front and center on it. <laughs>
0: Nice little bit of advertising there. Oh, totally. Uh, but
2: in, at the same time,
0: though, it's a fantastic initiative the Argos are doing um, in uh, in trying to promote the uh, Toronto Fly Football League and uh, raise its profile.
2: Mm-hmm. I told, and and it's something that kind of needs to happen. I'm just, I'm still waiting on the. I'm still waiting for them to get the flag, the the flag football, like the Argo sponsored flag football beer league up and running. <laughs> so then, and then actually, I would make the trip from I would make the trip in from from Kitchener for that every single week. Oh, I, I, I'm in too. I'm in for that one, one hundred percent. Make an Argos fan. So what? Will Argos fan cast team? <laughs> you in on us or what? What sport? Are <laughs> <Fly, laughs> you doing? Flag football. Uh, beer league uh, beer league flag football. <laughs> well, let's put let's
0: put it this way. There are actually some pretty uh I've played in a beer league uh, flag football for a little while. Really? And there, and there are some uh and there are some pretty competitive players
2: in those leagues.
1: I I, I may have to pass. <laughs> ah,
2: you're such a lame ass. <laughs> Killjoy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah but well, yeah like i said i'm i after reading that i'm like you know what I, this is this is great this is great to see that uh, the argos are trying to get or getting involved in uh, in essentially grassroots football uh, Academy, it, it, it needs exactly, to happen
0: <laughs> it's exactly what the the right thing to do
2: mhm
0: now i didn't want to throw something in here on the 3 minute warning uh the family and I went and uh, took a cruise uh, out of New York down to Florida and the Bahamas recently, and as always, you know, my family is uh, well. We're decked out in CFL gear, Riders, Argo, CFL. I think my son actually, my Travis, brought three CFL jerseys with him, um, and the one thing that uh, that struck me that you know, and in, in traveling anywhere on the continent that I've never really uh witnessed before was the amount of people that recognized the Argos logo over the Saskatchewan Rough Rider logo. I think there was uh I, I probably had about uh two people recognize the Rough Rider logo and I had uh about uh oh, about a half dozen people recognize the Argos logo and uh it, even one guy uh, who uh, actually told me that uh, he watched the the Grey Cup every year and then proceeded to explain to his uh, his wife about uh, how he knows about CFL football.
2: <laughs> see, see, it sounds like you sounds like you, you make <laughs> the, the wife actually questioned,
0: "Do you re- you really know about CFL football?" That's, and he uh, yeah. proceeded to go off on uh, on probably about uh, thirty years of history tour. I th-
2: I think and, that's kind of because it sounds it sounds like he, it sounds like uh, the way the way you kind of said it it made it sound like he, he's having an affair on the NFL. <laughs> uh, who that's knows? what, it, that's who what knows? it sounded like. It's like oh, how dare you, you cheat, How dare you go after the you go after a foreign foreign whore? <laughs>
0: It's like, hey, look, look, baby, it's just once a year. You know, we get together in a hotel room. It's all good.
2: <laughs> she she does things you can't do for me. Uh,
0: <laughs> all right, and I think that does it for the Argos fan cast for this Wait, week. Wait, I got. Gonna,
2: oh, we well, got one more. One more thing, just right. because it's because I almost forgot about it. I want to wish a happy belated Cinco de Mayo to our friends on south of the southern border to the LF to the LFA in Mexico. Um they are currently in their they're currently in their uh believe their division finals or at least they just had them they just had them I think on uh Sunday, April twenty eighth. So I think so I so as far as I know I'm not sure when the championship game is, but uh be perfectly honest, just want to wish you guys happy Cinco de Mayo. That's all.
0: Alright, now that does it for the Argos Fancast for this week. We're going to take another week off and then uh, we'll be back with our training camp primers. We'll be talking to uh, some of our uh, colleagues across the Canadian Football Podcast Network uh, uh, more about uh, what they've got going on with the, their teams go, heading into the 2019 season.
1: Doug... And, let, uh, oh, God, go God willing, we will have a Signed and ratified collective bargaining agreement.
0: Yes. Now Doug, where can they find you?
2: Okay, you can find us face on Facebook at Facebook.com slash double blue order, on Twitter at Double Blue Order, on Instagram at the Double Blue Order. Uh, season's getting around the corner. Get your DBO swag at uh, on Teespring at T com slash user slash DBO Argos, and I encourage everyone to check out both the Argonauts and CFL
1: subreddits at reddit.com.
0: And, Will, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter, at ArgoFans. Join us at www.ArgoFans.com or uh, check out my, my personal Twitter account at account, WillGE87.
0: And you can find me at all kinds of clay on the Twitter machine. Uh, You can find the Argos Fancast at Argos Fancast. And listen to our podcast anywhere you find the Friendly Neighborhood podcast. Just search Argos Fancast. Uh, We want to plug our regular locations, SoundCloud, Google Play and iTunes. Uh, and, uh, And if you Google Argos Fancast we'll show up there several times. Now We are also a part of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. You can find them at cfpodnetwork.ca. Listen to ours and many other great Canadian football podcasts uh, done by fans around the league, across the country, down south, and uh, well, even over in Japan. That does it for the Argos fan cast. We want to thank our guest, Paul Woods, and go buy his book. Uh, Find it at bouncingbackbook.ca,
2: I believe it is. Yep, that's right.
0: All right. We will talk to you in two weeks with more Argos news.